Um, so as you're getting out your Bibles, I'd invite you to take them out. Turn with me to Exodus. We will be in the 33rd chapter. So you can take your Bibles out or scroll on your devices to Exodus 33. And while you're doing that, um, I wanted to tell you about a little bit of a journey that we're on. Um, it's one I'm not too thrilled about. Um, how, how many of you like ice cream? That's it? I thought, every, I thought we'd have double hands up, yeah? What's your favorite kind? Any chocolate chip cookie dough? Rocky Road? Any mint chocolate chip people? Yeah, yeah, maple nut? There's all sorts, of, I love ice cream. If you ever go over to Long Beach, Washington, have you ever been to Scoopers ice cream? Yes, if you go over there, go to Scoopers and try the lemon pie ice cream. That's right, isn't it? Lemon pie. Just, I don't have to say anything more than that, just trust me. <laughs> it is delicious. All right, so ice cream, how about cheese? Anybody fan of cheese? Oh yeah. Pepper Jack? Any extra sharp cheddar? Yeah. Uh, what else? Munster? Swiss? Yeah. <clears throat> blue cheese. Yeah. Some people like blue cheese. I like it all. You know, if you put me in one of those little buffets with the little cheese nugget trays, don't be behind me. <laughs> I love cheese. Now, I told you we're on a little bit of an adventure that I'm not too thrilled about. Uh, a couple years ago, we discovered that uh, our son Brian has a, an intolerance, kind of an allergy to dairy products. And so we have, as a family, cut back on our dairy consumption out of necessity and just wanting to be a good family to Brian, and so he doesn't feel left out on lots of things. And so I think I've told you before that uh, I have migrated from, I like 2% milk, uh, but there was a migration, I've told you about this, from 2% to 1% to skim. <clears throat> Never was a fan of skim. But now our family drinks almond milk. Um, it's good, it's fine, but you know what? It's not milk. When you dip a cookie into almond milk, it doesn't soak into the cookie. I'm just saying. It's not the same thing. So, two and a half weeks ago, uh, Kaylin, our middle daughter, and I found out that we also might have a slight dairy allergy and intolerance. I'm still in denial. <laughs> like serious denial. I, <laughs> I know, I can, I, can, I can move forward. But it has launched us, it has launched us into this journey of going without or 
reducing significantly the amount of dairy that we have. So less ice cream, <laughs> no more cheese tray. It's not like we had a lot of dairy products anyway, but now to take it off the table, I'm, it's just one of those journeys that I'm not really thrilled about going on. So why do you need to know that? I'm sure you're wondering. <laughs> I got to yell out my favorite ice cream and my favorite cheese in church today. It's stories like that. It's episodes in our lives. It is situations or challenges that we come up against in, in our life that cause us to take a different direction sometimes, that cause us to walk down a different path, one that we might not have been intending. It's, uh, you could call them, there, there's some points in our life that are formative points, that, that there are formative stories in our life. And so as I rehearse telling this story, uh, it helps me live into a new way. The Exodus is a formative story in the people of God, in the life of Israel. And um, it, it really tells the story uh, of how God demonstrated his love for his people by hearing their cry, by reaching out and, and calling Moses to go help lead them out from oppression and slavery, demonstrating God's love to save his people. That's part of the formative story of Exodus. It's a story about how people transition from one way of living into a new way of living. Exodus tells us the story and gives us God's instructions to the people for how, you know, for 400 years they lived in slavery. People told them what to do. They didn't have to do a lot of thinking on their own. They didn't necessarily have to have much of a leadership structure that they came up with on their own. It was, it was given to them. So God gives them instructions, and as, as they leave slavery and move to the promised land, they have to learn how to live as free people. They have to learn how to live with one another, to treat each other, and to settle disputes among each other. They have to learn how to live and obey and follow the God who rescued them. Exodus is, tells us that formative story. It's not always easy when you move from one way of living to a new way of living. So there's plenty of challenges that we read about in Exodus itself and in the Old Testament uh, as a whole of points where the people, they just got it right. And they loved God and they obeyed him. But there's a huge chunk of our Old Testament where they just flat out get it wrong. And it's an up and down kind of a journey. I have a friend who... Uh, who came to faith as an adult, recognized that uh, the pattern of his life uh, was harming him. 
addictions, um, just bad habits, uh, living life totally apart from anything to do with God. And, and he came to the recognition that that was, wasn't taking him anywhere. <clears throat> so he's introduced to, to Jesus and the salvation offered through him came to the understanding, took a while to come to the belief that Jesus' forgiveness extended even to him. Oh, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, Jesus will forgive it all. Not, not, my, not me. You don't know me. He stepped into faith, but that doesn't mean that all your problems disappear. There's still things, patterns of living and patterns of thinking and attitudes and, and habits and so forth that sometimes take a long time to break and to turn. And that, that's the process by which we become more like Jesus. You might hear the word sanctification. It, it moves us from uh, us being dead in our sins and going one direction. Sanctification turns us around, and, and the process is how we become to be more like Jesus. And so for him, it was an up and down journey. Sometimes he got it right. Other times he stumbled, and it was difficult. I'm really thankful that the Bible gives us the picture that faith is an up and down journey. So that when we're in the bottom, when we're not getting it right, we don't have to feel alone. We can turn to Scripture and, and see that other people have struggled in their faith, they've struggled to get it right, but that God keeps coming back over and over and over again. Well, that's somebody new into the faith, but it's really difficult, too, sometimes for people who have been following Christ for years and years and years and years. You know, it's not like we always get it right. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit will come to us and will ask us to change our way of thinking. Hey, you know what? You've been thinking in a tunnel this direction, and you've not even considered what I might think over here. And once in a while, the Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know what? You need to think a little differently. Or the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and say, you know, all that time you're spending on whatever, I want that time too. You know that career that you've been pursuing I don't know if that's the right one for you. I, I might want you to consider a change in serving me more intentionally. Those get us to points in our life that become formative. You may have been a Christian for a long time, but Jesus will still keep coming to you and asking you for things. And it'll put you sometimes in an up and down journey in your faith. For me, <clears throat> this journey of uh, potentially changing our dairy consumption is like, I'm not equating that with faith journey, but it is like one of those difficult things that Jesus might ask us for, that Jesus might say, you know what, from this point forward, I, I really want 
the trajectory of your life to go this direction creates one of those moments in time. Maybe he's calling you to give up uh, on an addiction. Maybe, maybe alcohol is the thing that he's after you for. Or some people struggle with pornography. Some people struggle with just attitudes of being perpetually angry and upset. There's so many different things that Jesus could come after you for and ask you, hey, you know what? I want you to turn this over to me. Exodus tells us the story of how God was training the people to live more like he wanted them to live. Maybe this morning you get through this message and you feel like, you know what, I really feel like God is calling me in a certain direction. And I, my prayer going into today and really into every Sunday is that we would open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that we would not come in with closed minds, but that we would allow God to speak into our lives. And, and when he challenges us, that, that we respond. Last week, we talked about uh, transitioning from one thing to another. And um, <clears throat> one of the things we talked about last week was during the people's journey from slavery to the promised land, they committed a terrible sin against God. They had left. God had rescued them over and over again. When they didn't have food, God provided food. When they didn't have water, God provided water. When the enemies attacked them, God protected them. And uh, they get out into the wilderness, and uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to get what we know as the Ten Commandments, to get the law of God. And in his absence, he's gone like 40 days, 40 nights, which it's a biblical number, but it's kind of a way of saying he was gone a long time. I mean, if you think about 40 days, that, that's kind of a long time. 40 days is just long enough to start a new habit. And so in Moses' absence, the people, well, they get a little bored. Hey, you know what? That's a wild mountain up there. Moses might have been killed by a wild animal. God doesn't seem to be present anymore. Our leader's gone. Aaron, fashion us a god. Make us an idol. And so Aaron makes, he melts down their jewelry and he makes uh, the golden calf. They created a god so they could move it, cart it around. They could dance around it. They could sing songs to it. They, why did they do that? Because it's easier, it's easier to follow and worship a god that you can control because you know what to expect. And that's for them, you know, this golden calf was less mysterious than Yahweh, who came to them in the cloud and was thunderous. It's less scary. They can manipulate a golden calf. They can't really control God. And so it was just easier for them. They could, when they didn't want God, they could just roll the calf back in the closet. Well, put them in the tent over there. We don't, we don't need God right now. We can just get this on our own. So when you can wheel God in and out of your life, it just makes it a whole lot easier. 
but it was and it is a terrible sin against God. I mean, his first rule for them, don't have any other gods that you put ahead of me. Nothing else in your life should occupy the top spot. Nothing. Everything else derives its meaning and significance and order from having me at the top. And so Exodus tells the story, uh, and it continually paints the picture of the reality that unaddressed sin and rebellion in our life will lead to death. It's the thing that separates us from God. So Moses, he sees this terrible sin, he smashes those tablets, and, uh, and then he goes and he pleads for the people. And God relents and changes his mind. In God's mercy, he forgives them. So that's chapter 30 through chapter 32. And then we get to chapter 33, where we're going to look at this morning. And we learn that despite the people's resistance, despite their failure, that God was still going to make good on the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he would lead that people out of slavery and, and give them a land flowing with milk and honey. The honey would be okay for me, but the milk now, I don't know. It was a way of saying it was bountiful, it was lush, it was productive, fertile. It was a good, good land that he wanted to give them. God's still going to make good on this promise. Beginning of chapter 33, he tells them that. But there's one, I'd say small problem, but it's a big problem, a huge problem. God says, I'm going to give you that land, I'm going I'm to give it to you, and I want you to move from this place and go there, but I'm, I'm not going with you. Wow. God says, I'm going to honor that promise, but because you are a stubborn and stiff-necked people, you know those stubborn and stiff-necked people? Pretty rigid folk always have to be right always have to pursue what they want, always have the selfish motives, the ones who are rebellious and they argue about everything. I mean, you, can, you, you see the stiff-necked in two- and three-year-olds, right? <laughs> they just make their whole body rigid and tight. You can't make me do nothing! That's how God sees these people. He said, they are a stiff-necked and stubborn people. If I were to go with you, I would smite them on the way. That's what God said. So, you know, at least he's honest, right? I can't put up with your stubbornness and your, your stiff necks. It's just not going to work. You're never going to bow your will to mine if that's the kind of people you are. That's the message that God gives them. So the people hear this, and it freaks them out a little bit, and they repent immediately. Again, I mean, they, this is their pattern. They pursue their own way, and then they get bad news, and oh, I'm so sorry. God, you got to go with us. But that's their pattern. That's all of the Bible. Go our own way, find out something bad's going to happen, Oh, I'm so sorry. i got to repent. Okay, I forgive you. I'm going to go with you. And then 
they go their own way again. And then they get in trouble again, and oh, I'm so sorry. So the people repent. They kind of waffle back and forth in their faithfulness and their allegiance to God. And when things are going well, they, they, they kind of do things on their own. And when they get stuck, they cry out to God for help. So Moses, this, is, this guy's a leader. He might be not so good with words, and he might be timid here and there, but this guy's a leader. He, he goes out, he, he's their intercessor, he goes and he speaks to God on their behalf. So he goes out to this tent of meeting. Moses is a friend of God. He gets FaceTime with God. And he goes out to this tent of meeting outside the camp to talk to God. It says the cloud descends on the tent of meeting. So the people knew that Moses was there and God was there. And he talks to him. And so we're in Exodus chapter 33. I want to read just a little episode. Would you stand with me to honor the authority of the word? I'm going to read Exodus um, 33, starting in verse 12. One day, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glory. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Let's leave off there for a moment. It's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. We spend a lot of our lives preparing for things, don't we? I mean, we have the holidays coming up, and there's always lots of preparation that, that goes into that, and <clears throat> we have different events that just 
or special times that, that we need to plan for, prepare for meticulously and diligently, line up all of the details, send out all of the invitations, make sure the menu is just correct, and we invest a lot of time in preparing for certain things. It could be an event, it could be a job presentation, it could be a sporting event that you're practicing for, but there's all sorts of things <clears throat> that uh, we spend lots of time in preparation for. And, and that really is the description of the season that we're stepping into next week. Advent begins, believe it or not, next Sunday already. Uh, and so we're launching into this Advent journey, and, <clears throat> and it takes us up to us celebrating the birth of our Savior. And the journey of Advent is to prepare for Jesus' arrival in our life. And if our lives are clouded and cluttered and filled with other things, the Advent journey challenges us to take those things and set them aside so that when Jesus arrives, that there's a place for him, that we're making room in our heart and in our lives for his presence. And as I read the Exodus story, particularly the one that we just read, I see it as a preparation for Advent. And so I chose this text to help us get into the Advent mode, to, to help move us from um, maybe a way of thinking, and, and, and yeah, I know the decorations change, and the music changes in the stores, and, and you notice that there, there is a transition. It starts in July nowadays, but there's a slow transition to get us into the Christmas spirit. And these sets of texts that we've looked at over the last three weeks are preparing us to get into the Advent mode. And so in preparation for Advent, I, I kind of boiled it down to, to one sentence. Um, and here's the sentence. We need to invite God's presence and prepare for his arrival because if he doesn't go with us, it's not really worth going. We need to invite God's presence and prepare for his arrival because if he doesn't go with us, it's not really worth going. Moses understands this. Moses prepares for God's presence in a couple ways. Moses knows that, they, that the people need God. Moses knows that if God, if, when God said, you know what, I'm going to send you, but I'm not going to go, I'm going to stay here on the mountain, Moses knows if that happens that life is over. Just put a period at the end of that one, and, and we don't need any more story of the people of Israel. If God doesn't go with them, if God's presence isn't in their midst, it's over. Moses understands that, and, and so he's preparing himself and, in general, his people for the arrival of God's presence. Verse 12, he, he asks God, 
well, who's going to go with us? If you're staying here, who's going? God, you need... It's a way of asking God to be part of what's going on. Verse 13, Moses, he admits, he admits something here. He says, if you think highly of me, if I've found favor with you, listen to this, he says, show me your ways so I may know you, so I may follow you, and I may continue in your favor. Moses is saying, come, Lord Jesus, teach me. I don't have it all figured out. You ever think like you've, you know, I've just reached a point in my understanding of any given topic, and I'm now the authorized teacher, and that's a bad place to get to. We constantly need to open ourselves to the teaching of the Word. That's what I spend a good chunk of my week doing, is trying to open myself to the Scripture and never reach a point thinking that, well, I've got it all figured out. I don't. Moses knows that. He says, come and teach me, Lord. I need your presence. We need your presence here. We are open to learning what you want us to learn, for you to teach us what you want us to, to, to learn. And it might require unlearning some things, so be it. But we need your presence with us to teach us. Verse 14, God tells Moses, my presence will go with you. Literally, in the Hebrew, that says, my face will go with you. That's a beautiful picture, because if you think about somebody's face, that's close, that's intimate. FaceTime, you know, when you're face-to-face with somebody, you know that they're in that you're in each other's presence. And God says, my face will go with you. I will be close to you. See, there's going to be times on, uh, on our journey, on, on your journey, when, when we come to the recognition that God is all we have. Financial security falls away. Health falls away. Maybe people fall away. There will be points in our journey where we recognize that God is all we have. And that God is all we need. And the promise of this scripture is that God's face will go with the people. You will never be left alone because God's face goes with you. I want you to look at something really closely. I did not realize this until this week. Um, there's a difference between verse 14 and 15. There's this you know, little English lesson, but we, we see a shift from singular to plural. It's a significant shift that we can't miss. In verse 14, Modus, Moses notices that God's promise was to be with him individually, singularly. God makes Moses, I will go with you, Moses. You have been faithful to me. You're the one who I have communicated with, and these people have turned their back on me. 
Moses, what you ask, I will go with you. But look at verse 15. Moses pushes God into the plural. He said, what about everybody else, God? There's a whole group of people that you've led out into the wilderness. We can't leave them. He says, if you don't go with us, plural, the whole group, then don't send us, God. If you don't go with us, it's not even worth going. Moses knows if God doesn't go, the journey is over. Can can you imagine a world without any influence of God at all? It'd be total chaos. Everybody for themselves. Selfishness would reign. I'm reminded in in this that of, of words that the author of Hebrews wrote in chapter one, verse three. He he says he holds everything together with his powerful word. If God removes his word from us, everything falls apart. The whole creation is bound up together in Christ. And even way back here in the Old Testament, Moses gets it. If you don't go with us, God, it's not worth going. We can't even take a step without you, God, not even one. You're all we have. God's presence makes all the difference for them. It wasn't their land. They didn't have any land yet. It wasn't their possessions. It wasn't their wealth. Well, they were slaves. They didn't really have any wealth or possessions. It wasn't in their military strength. They weren't really an intimidating people, and they weren't uh, you know, a highly trained and skilled military unit. It wasn't their righteousness or goodness. We just witnessed that they worshiped a golden calf. They're wishy-washy people. All they have is the presence of God. Other people would know that they were God's people because God's presence would go with them, period. We really need, we're at a point, everybody is, we need God to go with us as well because with his presence comes his power for us to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, to do what he wants us to do, both personally and corporately as as a church. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your bank account, it's not your gadgets, it's not your good looks, it's not your popularity that sets you apart in other people's lives. As the people of God, it should be the presence and power of God in your life that sets you apart. That's how people will know whose we are. Not by what we have or what we do, but the power and presence of Jesus. What it looks like for a church, it's not about our building. This building, it's nice, but it's not what sets us apart. It's not the style of music we play or don't play. It's not our website. It's not our staff. It's not all of you, believe it or not, that sets us apart 
It's the power and presence of God in our midst that sets us apart in our community. When we do what he says and we go where he goes and we extend his love out into the community through the power of his, that's what sets us apart. If God isn't present in our ministry and in our lives, if he is not in the ways that we move forward, we might as well not go. So personally, in your life, in the life of the church, we should be on our knees begging and pleading like Moses did. God, you got to go with us. Because if you don't go with us, it's not worth going. We'll never get very far if we attempt to do the work of God without the presence of God. It's how the first church got its breath. When Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit rained down on the people, it empowered them to go out and be the church. It's not any different today. It's easier nowadays, I think, because of the wealth of the country that we live in, because of the technology that we enjoy, because of our place in time and history, it would be really easy to play church without inviting God's presence, but we'll never go anywhere. We need to be known because God is present. And the Advent preparation is that we would prepare a place and that we would invite God's presence into our midst. Because if he doesn't go with us, he probably shouldn't go. Verse 17, God promises Moses that he would do what he asked, that he would go with the people. There's a really neat picture that I I read, I, I like it, it's the one where Moses says, in verse 18, show me your glory. I mean, Moses is a guy, he had regular contact with God. I mean, out of any person in history to this point, and maybe since, Moses is the guy that he can talk to God. He's the friend of God. I mean, God appeared to him in that burning bush when he called him to go save the people. Remember that? God spoke to him out of a bush that was on fire. And then in the Exodus story, we read that repeatedly God is instructing and leading and guiding Moses to help free the people. And and they get out into the wilderness and Moses goes up the mountain. Why does he go up there? To meet with God and to talk to him. Multiple times and places in, in, in this story, we learn that, that Moses has this really neat relationship with God, but time and again, uh, Moses says, it's not enough. I need more. More God. I've been in your presence, Lord, but will you just show me your glory again? That, that's really a challenge for us. with busy lives and schedules, it might be easy to get to a point and say, I've had enough 
I've had my fill of God for the week or the month or the day or whatever. And think that, you know, maybe if you check in once or twice a month at church and, you know, you crack your Bible, you know, every so often and, you know, you say your prayers. We're a people who are tempted to say, you know what, I'm good. I got, I got my fill of God for the day or week or whatever time period you're talking about. We're at risk of saying, I, I don't need any more of God. Moses would say, no, no. I've been in the very presence of God repeatedly, and it's never enough. God, continue to show me your glory. I need more. That's where we need to be. And God says, God answers this question with a yes and a no. Not a maybe, yes and a no. I'll give you a glimpse. I'll give you a peek. I'll let all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you, but you cannot see my face. Stand over there on the rocks, and when my glory passes by, I'll hide you in a crevice in the rocks, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and then I'll remove my hand, and you will see my back. So Moses gets to see God's backside. How nice. My mind explodes every time I read that. We were talking about this a little bit in staff meeting. I mean, this is like God mooning Moses. And we were wondering if it was a super moon. Now, so all joking aside, I mean, it's okay to have fun with Scripture. Because that's the image that we have, is God's going to pass by, and he's going to remove his hand from in front of Moses' face and, face, and and Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory from behind. So here's the picture that I want you to remember. What Moses gets to see is God moving into his future. God's not stationary. God's not occupying one point. God passes by Moses on his way into Moses' future. And he's out there, and when he removes his hand, he's calling Moses to come and follow him. And when you ask to see the glory of God, I think that you will get the same picture. That you will see God's glory moving by you and beyond you and calling out to you, come, follow me. But we can't. We can't follow God. We can't pursue God if we're carrying around all the stuff that we like to carry around. We have to create some space. We need to ditch bad habits. We need to reorganize our calendars sometimes. We might just need to make a whole scale reversal of where we think that we have been going and, and listen to God and say, no, I, I want you to go this way. This is the work of Advent, preparing that space, looking and asking to see God's glory. We read later in chapter 34, verses 5 through 8, that 
that it happens just how God explained it to Moses. That he, in fact, does see his glory. And, and as God goes by, he preaches Moses a sermon about his name and tells him exactly about his character. And if you ever want to know what a description of God looks like, look at Exodus 34, verse 6 and verse 7. Maybe two of the most important verses, verses in all of Scripture. If somebody, if somebody asks you, what is God like? You can point them to those two verses. It's a full description. We need to invite God's presence and prepare for his arrival because if he doesn't go with us, it's not worth going at all. So as we move into Advent, may we be a people who invite God's presence, a people willing to do the hard work of making room in our lives for him, a, a people who are open and, and we, we ask God to show us his ways, to teach us. May we be a people who are anxiously awaiting and calling out to see the glory of God in our lives and in our church and in our community. In Exodus 34, verse 8, when Moses sees the glorious presence of God, immediately he threw himself to the ground and worshiped. And I think we ought to do the same. People of God said, amen.